You know, guys, when you get to be our age, finding the motivation to get back in shape can be hard. It's just plain tough to find a routine and to stick with it. Good news. FitBod is a fitness app that is anything but routine. It tailors your workouts to fit your life, your goals, your gear, and even your schedule, so you can avoid burnout. And FitBod helps keep up your momentum by mixing in different exercises, reps, supersets, and circuits. Best yet, FitBod has over 1,000 demonstration videos, so you can learn the right way to do each exercise. It's time to ditch the boring routines and kickstart your fitness journey. Add FitBod to your workout essentials. Join today to get your personalized workout plan. Get 25% off your subscription or try the app for free at fitbod.me slash Zabe. That's F-I-T-B-O-D dot M-E slash Zabe. Today on the Zabecast, whoa, we got a runaway coaching hire as Josh McDaniels leaves the Colts at the altar. Gronk and guns, well, that sounds like a great idea. All that plus Drew Olson from the Big 920 in Milwaukee on the occasional hopeless despair of being part of the sports media horde. You got about an hour to kill, then buckle up and let's go. Here we go. Tuesday, Feb 6, 2018, and thank you for joining me on the ZabeCast. Actually, it's technically just into Wednesday, February 7th, as I record this opening little monologue after midnight. And I know what you're saying. Man, you are getting late with these ZabeCasts. You have technically now missed a day. You're right. Technically, I have. I just wanted to give Monday's ZabeCast, which I thought was outstanding. I think they're all outstanding. You should download, tell two friends, give a positive review on iTunes, and yada, yada, yada. I think I just wanted to give it a full day to soak, so to speak. Try to keep them 24 hours apart. Ideally, when would you like these ZabeCasts delivered? Because it's tricky, as I am sometimes batch recording my guest inserts. For example, today on Tuesday, I had the chance to record in succession Drew Olson, who you'll hear today, Bob and Brian after that, and then I just got off with Jay Cottrell, the notorious J-A-Y, on Tuesday night. And while I try to keep the topics kind of evergreen, or at least we talk about things that have happened and are not going to change, like, you know, how come... Uh, like the embarrassment that is Kevin Hart after the Super Bowl, that's not going to change. But the Malcolm Butler story is going to continue to evolve, and that is time-sensitive. As of this recording, just over 48 hours or so following the end of Super Bowl 52, we still have no better answers on just what in the hell did he do to deserve getting benched. All we know is that on Tuesday, he put out an Instagram post that said, all these rumors are not true. I was not out. He didn't mention them by the specific allegations. He just said, look, I was with my family. I participated in every practice. I was ready to go. I was prepared to play. I didn't, and it is what it is. Uh, This is a team game. I support my teammates. I've got nothing else to say. Tom Brady liked the post and also said a little note there, like, love you, brother. Thanks. Yada, blah, blah, blah. We don't know anything else. It's almost like Butler has said, here you go, Bill, Coach Mumbles. It's back in your court because I'm not going to let you off the hook by admitting to something or apologizing for something I didn't do or saying, here's the reason why I wasn't out there. He's going to have to let that information get out. I am almost certain that Bill Belichick himself will never mumble out the reason in front of a microphone ever about why Malcolm Butler was benched. He'll let that information leak to whatever source, whatever outlet in Boston he feels is appropriate, and then it'll get out in the bloodstream, and there'll be corroboration on that. And by the time anyone gets to you know, put a microphone in Bill Belichick's mumbling snoot, it'll be so far down the road that he will just mumble something about, you know, I'm not talking about it, you know, um, we, we got the combine here. Uh, we're just going to talk about the combine. 
the draft is here. Uh, we're going to draft some good players. Uh, you know, Malcolm was a good player. I uh, wish him the best. And away they go. So stay tuned for more on that. Meanwhile, this McDaniels bombshell Tuesday night. Wow. I learned about it because I quickly logged on to Twitter and I saw a lot of people saying on my Twitter timeline, Josh McDaniels in Indy right now, and then they included a gif or gif of either the Homer, not Homer Simpson, but Homer's dad, Grandpa Simpson, where he comes in the door, sees something, he comes in the door, takes off his hat, puts it on the hat rack for one second, picks it right back up, puts it on his head, does a quick U-turn, out the door. That is my favorite. I love that. As I've said to you guys before, I love talking in GIF. I want to master the language of talking only in GIFs. That's how I want to communicate going forward. All GIFs, all the time. I believe Ross Tucker put out a GIF of a baby that stumbles down the hallway, sees something, and then does a quick U-turn, stumbles the other way. Again, perfect. Josh McDaniels in Indy? Ah, no, no thanks. There'll be more details on this, but apparently there was no actual signed contract that he had the right to reconsider and that both Belichick and Kraft put the full court press on him to stay, which leads you to believe he's the coach in waiting, which makes you now wonder, is the end in sight, at least, for Bill Belichick? McDaniels is young, he's 41, but if Belichick's going to coach another 10 years, which probably is on the outset of what is realistic, then, boy, that's a long time to wait. Also, the Andrew Luck injury situation might have scared him off. The more that people learn about what Luck is doing and what his shoulder is all about. Apparently, from the last I saw or read, Luck still doesn't want to get that thing cut on. He wants to rehab it and do whatever platelet injections or whatever voodoo. I think he went to Germany. Ooh, the Germans. Went to Germany for treatment on it. And they're hopeful that he will be ready by the time the season starts. Ooh, the Germans oh. are mad at me. I'm so scared. Ooh, the Germans. Uh-oh, the Germans are coming to get Stop me. Oh, don't let please the Germans don't come let after me. Please stop the pretending oh, scared game. Stop it. One of the all-time great bites there. McDaniels joins a list of coaches just in the NFL alone who have done U-turns at the last minute. Belichick, of course, did this with the Jets. Writing out, scribbling on a napkin, I resign as HC of the NYJ. Here you go. This should do you. Then he goes to New England, and there was a big fight over it, and compensatory picks ensued. Dave McGinnis, Cardinals coach, was due to become the next coach of the Bears, was holed up in a hotel room, waiting to be limoed to the opening presser, and didn't like some of the things, like his contract wasn't done, believe it or not, and didn't like some of the things that the team was dragging their heels on, and decided, eh, that's it, forget it. Left the Bears at the altar. Never became a head coach. At least he didn't in Chicago. He might have gotten a chance somewhere else after that. Billy Donovan, Orlando Magic. I think I uh, did a screen cap of the Magic's website with a big smiling Billy Donovan in Orlando Magic gear, or photoshopped into gear. Never took the job. Did a U-turn back to Florida, and then, of course, he ended up going to Oklahoma City. Uh, Rick Majerus, may he rest in peace, briefly took the USC job, decided against that. He never made it. I wish, I wish Jim Zorn had never taken the Skins job, but sadly, he both accepted the job and showed up and was terrible for two years. Stay tuned on the McDaniels front. Gronk, house, robbed, a safe, Several guns, allegedly. Why am I talking in one word sentences? Gronk, guns, robbery. Here, let me just boil it down. Gronk, guns. Gronk, guns. Gronk, guns. You know how they bring the words together like on the electric company or Sesame Street? I know that Gronk, like any American citizen, has his rights or Everyone has his or her rights under the Second Amendment. But damn, I don't... ah. Considering what the Patriots just got through with Aaron Hernandez, with their last tight end, and guns, and more, 
Don't like to hear that Gronk had guns stolen from him, from his home. Can you imagine Gronk horsing around with guns, that guy, with his simple protozoan brain and his beautiful, big, Cro-Magnon skull? Gronk? No. Bad idea. Incredible sight in Pittsburgh on Tuesday night. Ryan Shazier at a Penguins game, standing ovation, and then he too got up and stood. This is so wonderful and such incredible news considering what the typical medical timeline for his injury and for what little progress he had 48 to 72 hours after the initial injury. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. And uh, let it continue. As far as him ever playing football again, oh, no. I mean, I am a 1,000% against that. But you can imagine, given this progress, he's probably going to say, I want to play football again. And he may work out and get strong and get back to within almost ready-to-play-football shape, but i got to believe at that last moment, that threshold of considering crossing the line, he's going to say, no, it's not worth it. Jermichael Finley, I think, was in a somewhat similar position with the Packers, where he briefly was paralyzed, had a very bad neck injury, talked to Brave Game like, oh, I'm going to come back and play, and then by the time it came time for that in the next season, he's like, no, I'm retiring. Because people with some sense said, this is so not worth it. Not for all the millions in the world. It's just not worth it. And then Carson Wentz got engaged. God bless him. Put out a picture on his social media proposing to his beautiful young girlfriend. They're both young and in love. It's a sweet thing. They look so happy. It's a beautiful photograph on a rooftop somewhere in Philadelphia. And all that any guy who's a sports fan cared about was, hey, uh, Look at that left knee that he blew out there. It looks pretty good. He's bending it at almost 90 degrees. And they start firing off tweets to pro, uh, to the to uh, Dr. David Chow on Twitter, the pro football doc, the former Chargers doc. Like, hey, doc, take a look at this picture of uh, Wentz here. Uh, tell me, does that knee look good? Does that look like he's making good progress on that injury? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh he's proposing to his girlfriend there. Oh, that's nice. Anyway, back to the knee, doc. How's the knee look? That's typical sports fandom. Time for our friend Drew Olson. Big 920 in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. What's up, Big Drew? Hot rocking, flamethrowing, rocking the rivers, shaking the lakes. Hi, Zabe. Hey, man, we are ready to embark upon the long swim in sports radio. (laughs) From the end of the Super Bowl all the way until... More football in August. It's a long swim. And we will we will jack ourselves off to all this stuff of combine and free agency and the draft. And we'll like... And it's like, are we there yet? No, there's still three months. Yeah, it is the winter of our discontent. Because you get excited about March Madness, and then that's great for the first weekend or two weeks. You know, it gives you a little respite. And then that kind of loses steam. And then, Whoa, hey, opening you day. Respite? Oh, yeah, a little respite. It's not a respite? Yeah, that's a well. How do a, you pronounce it? You say depends. respite. It depends. On I how call you're it using a respite. It. I need a respite from all this. Yes, I, you call it a respite. Well, it it, it depends on the usage. <laughs> well, it's more of an upstate New York thing. Really, I'm from Utica. Well, it's more of a Al- Albany thing. <laughs> more of a well, Cooperstown thing. Whatever yeah. the case. By the way, I'm sorry, everybody. That was disgusting. I was making. I said jerk off, and I started making masturbation sound effects on this very podcast. And you're like, I'm not coming here for that, bro. You need to keep that to yourself, whatever that's all about. So I apologize. Well, I don't know what got carried. I don't know why I got carried away doing that, but I did. As you're talking to the guy who coined the phrase "refractory period" for the that's Minnesota true. Vikings, that is, that is true. Uh, that's kind of where we go th- these days on this uh, segment here. So, Super Bowl recap in a nutshell from Drew Olson. Go. Uh, game was spectacular. The controversy of Malcolm Butler hovers over this. And the Phillies fans, uh, the Philly fans, and their reaction, and the city's still standing, but they have a parade to get through yet. But uh, right, game was terrific, and I just I got that impression. Tell me at the end, you didn't think Brady was going to bring him back somehow, some way? Oh, a million percent, absolutely. Because so in that way, it was disappointing. I found myself in in the the pit of my 
I don't give a shit who wins heart. It was like, oh, I want Brady to do this because that would be the better story. I want, a, I want a holy shit moment from Tom Brady. Sure, sure. I mean, two minutes and change, which is forever and a day, and four down territory because you know they had you know. So you're talking about that's the most underrated thing about you know game ending situations when a team is in four down situation. It's really, really hard to stop them as compared to normal other times in the game. But you know what? One play was all it took, and boom, ball came out. I was up there, upper deck end zone at you know the new Viking Stadium, U.S. Bank, and the Eagle fans kind of were concentrated in the upper deck in the corner to my left, and it was piercingly loud when that ball came out, and it was pretty apparent that, yes, we're going to win the Super Bowl. There's few things better in life than that moment. Have you and all the things you've covered been to a Super Bowl game itself? I have, yes. I Which saw the one? Packers. I saw the Packers win a Super Which one? Bowl. Uh, the, the Packers uh, in Dallas beating the Dallas Pittsburgh. one, okay. Yep. Yep. And where were you seated for that game? Really good auxiliary seating kind of in a corner of the end zone in the stands. Uh, really good? Makeshift, but yeah, it was, it was actually a pretty good seat compared to where a lot of the modern press boxes put media. Uh, it was actually a pretty good vantage point. Plus, there was the distraction at Jerry World of, I can look at the TV, which is larger than life, oh, and yeah. HD, or I had to force myself to look at the field at times. Right, because looking at the game on the field is a chore. It's like you're looking yeah. at live game film, and you really don't watch the game in the same way that you've always watched the game at home. Which no is doubt. It's a the different television experience. Prism. Yep, it's a different experience, no doubt. I, it, but is it a better experience? Like, who goes to games? You've got to be a diehard fan. You're there for the communal aspect of, I'm going to whoop it up and cheer and dress up and drink in the parking lot and commiserate with my buddies. If you're there watching a game alone, like I was for the Super Bowl, and you were, I guess, alone for the most part watching the Packers, it's not as fun to watch it in person. I don't think. That's not how I feel. It, it's not as fun. It is a completely different experience. It's um, You can see things. Things that are big, a big deal in the stadium are not a big deal on TV and vice versa. Because, Such as? All right, well... Let's say I'm covering the Packers game, and I'm at, at Lambeau Field. I'm on the seven stories up in the press box. Yeah. And um, David Bakhtiari limps off the field after a first down play. Yeah. And everybody in the press box, like, holy shit, Bakhtiari's hurt. And we watch him go sit down. We watch the trainers tend to him. Then we watch the next play, and they drop back to pass, and his replacement gives up a sack. And you say, oh, shit. Well, this is a, and that's all you're focused on. And on TV... If the they're announcers don't mention it, a bunch of other things. Yeah, they're talking they about a bunch of other things. They're yeah. going to highlight, and they don't mention that in real time. Right. And they might not mention it until a, a timeout or two later when the sideline reporter finally gets around to it. And that's all we're talking about. Whereas on TV, their cameras, because you know I'm behind the Packers bench, they might see Mike McCarthy screaming at a, a player or an official. I don't see that doesn't register. They show it going into timeout, and it's all anybody's talking about that's watching the game on TV. So it's a, now, just a completely different experience. It is different. And by the way, I would say that most fans in the building on Sunday had no idea that Malcolm Butler was not on the field. Most fans watching on TV had little idea because it wasn't covered enough for me because if you're the New England press, you're like, what the fuck? The whole Why game. Why is he not out there? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. You're, that's all you're thinking about is like, what is going on? They're getting torched. And why is Malcolm? Why was he crying during the, the national anthem? But even Patriots super fans like uh, uh, Barstool Sports uh, founder Dave Portnoy admitted afterwards, he's like, I had no idea that Butler was not in the game because he was in the stands. Yep. And when you're in the stands, if you're not tuned in, I only found out because I had the earpiece that the NFL gave you, which has the feed of both the radio call and the television call. And I had it in my ear and I was listening and I heard Al Michaels mention that Butler was not in there. Otherwise, I would not have known. And some people think, well, how can you not know that? I mean, don't you see that he's not out there? And my answer is, hey, man, I'm not checking numbers off. Like some kind of bus route operator going, okay, 93 is on oh, board, yeah. okay, see. 55 is on board. You, you go I'm to just assuming. Uh, you go to a Packers practice and you see uh, guys on the media on the sideline, they all have like checklists every day and with numbers on them, and they check guys off as soon as they see them, and that's how they know who's not practicing. Oh, right. And it's a boring ass, you know, <laughs> you go to college and you, you cover high schools and you work your way up, and you're basically there taking attendance. 
Right. And you're sitting there like, okay, all right, 67, cross him off. He's warming up. 68, there he is. Okay, oh, I haven't seen 70 yet. Where's 70? Uh, Oh, and that's what – and you're right, you don't notice that. Do you know how hard it is to track packages in the NFL? Oh, absolutely. Guys that can do that. that, That's where you get get the downtime between plays, but – the real the guys fly. are sitting there with uh, color coded pens, keeping track of combinations and who was in and what defense. And they were in, uh, they were in yeah. nickel there, and he ran this route against, uh, you know, and and oh, they were in too tight end. And you, it's amazing the stuff that you can record between games, uh, between plays. And so, but you, but I'm talking though in real time, it's hard to keep track of packages. Oh, exactly. That's what I'm and saying. Who's like, in and who's and, out? And, and that's in the press box when you're paying rapt attention. When you're in the stands, you have no chance. Right. Because you're not paying that kind of attention. You're standing because somebody's you know, going to the bathroom in front of you or you're passing a beer sure. around. The, yeah, it's just it's impossible. And that's make that makes it different. And it seems like in the press box, the game goes pretty fast because you're keeping track of all that stuff and you don't get access to replays as much as you do at home because you, fact, you yeah. know, you're, you're, it's, that's a different part of it. But then. Uh, conversely, when you're in the stadium, there's a, so much downtime of guys yeah. standing around. Those TV timeouts take forever. Here's here's something else that I may be wrong about, or maybe I was dead right about it, but it used to be that you couldn't get snap counts for a game until the next day. And it used to be that the NFL itself did not track that. I want to say, Drew, that about seven, eight, nine years ago, we would get snap counts to talk about the next day on sports radio, whereas you couldn't just see those in the box score as the game went final because keeping track of all that shit was too onerous. Even for dedicated yeah. box score peoples, the box score peoples, box score, uh, I don't know, what do you mean, statisticians. Like the statisticians yeah. themselves couldn't do that. Also, I don't know how many people know this, but – Tackle numbers, which are unofficial, tackles and assists, you get, what, a half a tackle for an assist? Yeah. Those can be adjusted by the team through the week as they watch film, and they can take away or add a tackle or an assist, and that a team's internal tackle numbers are often different from the so-called official tackles that are kept in the box score. Which is interesting, especially if, you know, when it comes to contract time. Oh, oh yeah. You didn't contract have Contract time tackles. and agents and, and everything else like that. It's just kind of fascinating. We're tracking more and more stuff. And, of course, you know, pro football focus is a big flashpoint of controversy in sports radio because some people rely on it as if it's the gospel. You know, Chris Collinsworth owns the company. Now. I'm aware, yeah. And they use that PFF, those PFF numbers and grades all the time. And yet, I've got a guy at our station, Christopher Cooley, who watches film, and it takes several hours just for each side of the ball every week. And he says there is no way that Pro Football Focus can grade film within an hour after each game on Sunday goes final. He says, no way. Even if you have the all 22, he's like, you can't do it. It takes too long. You have to look at every play three or four times and take a lot of notes and figure out, okay, this was covered two, this was not covered two. This is the flat defender's responsibility. This is the deep defender's responsibility. And here's whether he played that play right or wrong. Yeah, it, it's there's just so many layers to it. Yeah. So the Butler thing, this is now a case of how do coaches deal with players who fuck up because players always fuck up at some point they do some dumb shit and they've got to be disciplined where do you draw the line how hard do you draw the line how much do you make everyone else pay for one guy's idiotic mistake that is the key question what could malcolm butler have done and i see this as it's we're i don't know if it's the end of the patriots but we're at the beginning of the end if we're not in the middle of the end of the patriots dynasty <laughs> it's about time it's the end that's for where, sure where are we on the continuum it's either the beginning of the end or the middle of the end we're not at the end end but we're getting there you can we're see it from here of, we're at the intermission of the start of the final segment of the sort of end with maybe another encore coming and this has to be belichick's worst moment as a coach i mean as, since he's been the genius like, right to me there's there's what would he have had to have done, having played 98.7% of snaps during the season and the playoffs? Even if he took to, a swing at an assistant 
Yes. Is there... How about how about the kid who t- who did go after the assistant in the national championship game for Alabama? He's back out. On he was the field. back. He was back in the game. Now they've they've told him to transfer, and he has transferred to Tennessee State. Yeah. But even in that moment, after a huge penalty for a stupid ass personal foul, and then going after coaches, they let him cool down for a couple of series, and next thing you know, he's out on the field. Yeah. If and here's my thing: if what Butler did was so egregious that he was to be benched and not used under any circumstances, because clearly they were getting torched by the Eagles and he wasn't used. Why did you even dress him? Why was he one of your 46? That's, that's Sit him thing. totally. Don't dress him for the game. Because ostensibly, if if you're, the guy who replaced him, Roe or whoever, had broken his leg, uh, Malcolm Butler might have been back in there, right? Yes, so, but he was he was also not even used as the third DB or true. the third corner because Batamosi was used and he's and Batamosi barely plays barely plays and he's awful and he's terrible at tackling. He missed several tackles in the game. It, it this reason I'm telling you, Drew, it better be a bombshell like he was caught banging uh, Kraft's girlfriend, Ricky Noel Lander, or that he was caught with Linda Holiday, the sporty, milfy, blonde girlfriend of one Bill Belichick. This better be something absolutely mind-blowing. Even then! Like, even, even then! Even then you go, you go, I we'll say. deal with this later. Okay? Yeah, yeah. But right now, we're going to win the Super Bowl, and then I'm going to fucking His, fist fight you. This was, and this is where uh, egos run amok. He's, he pulled a Gene Hackman, my team is on the floor. Right. right. It's like, come on, dude. Sir, coach, and you're you penalizing everybody else. Ask My the team is on the court. Ask the rest of the defenders, defensive guys and the DBs. Like, do you want Malcolm Butler playing? Hell yes. Get him yeah. out of here. What are you doing? Yeah. Any examples of athletes getting well, disciplined or sat my, down through the years covering baseball? My favorite banquet story on this very topic is there was a, a guy that played second base early in my beat writing career named Fernando Vina. He's most famous for getting poleaxed by Albert Bell in the baseline. Oh, that's right. That's the guy. Shortstop? Uh, second baseman. Second baseman. Really Fernando great guy. Vina. Fernando Vina came on and got, kind of established himself, was a good player in Milwaukee, got traded to St. Louis. Anyway, he was early on when he first started playing, he was digging himself some Fernando Vina, and he was doing stuff, ignoring take signs, not like a Chucky Hacks, but he was – Grounding out and not running all the way to first base, he would peel off halfway down the line. Stuff that would piss a manager off, right? Okay. And just doing stuff, trying to make the spectacular play or trying to make himself look good when, you know, doing the routine two-hand thing might have helped, you know. Finally, I got to a point where I was the only guy covering a game on the road. I walked into the manager's office, and Phil Garner had a cigar in one hand, and he had his hat in the other. He looked at me, and he goes, that motherfucking Vina, and he spiked his hat onto the desk. He goes, I want to bench his ass for a week. And he sat down, put his feet up on the desk, took a drag off his cigar, and he said, and we'd lose all seven fucking games. <laughs> and I can't do it. So, and so people would say, well, why don't, you know, why don't managers? Because that's the big picture, right? Like, we can't. Right. He was his leadoff hitter, and he was, a, you know, and he literally, they would have lost seven games without Fernando Vini, so he couldn't bench him. Yeah. I and, remember in college once there was a story at UNLV, J.R. Ryder, uh, was at UNLV, transferred from JUCO. He's playing at UNLV. This is in the Raleigh Massimino era. And he, he was clearly going straight to the NBA, going to be a lottery pick, which he was. And I remember hearing, because I was doing play-by-play for UC Santa Barbara, we were in their conference, so would hear these stories. And apparently, <laughs> J.R. Ryder uh, ends up missing practice one day, comes in late. They're practicing at the Thomas and Mack Center. Comes in late, walks in about mid-level of the stands in his pajamas with a pajama cap on even (laughs) to rub it in and had one of Raleigh Massimino's cigars. There's a cigar again. And was smoking a cigar and put his feet up and watched practice from the stands (laughs) at UNLV. And pretty much after that, it was, yeah, he's, he's out of here. Pretty was, much. Yeah, pretty That's much. He was only like one month left of the season. But there was never any public suspension of J.R. No. Ryder because obviously Raleigh wanted to try to win. And you look the other way and you make these deals with the devil and these bargains in your head in order to win. Well, now, Belichick, maybe he's got a good reason. I cannot I wait to hear what the I can't real fathom a reason that's good enough, like you said, to punish everybody else. Because sure. of one guy. I mean, you got to take the bigger picture. It's for the greater good, right? It's for the team. Yeah. But uh, what I don't like is just the lying. Because the whole, well, we put the best guys. Bullshit. The guy played 98% of your snaps. That it was not your best team. That was not your best packages. It wasn't your best matchups. You're lying. So don't lie. You know. What if he's lying to protect Malcolm Butler's reputation? 
because it was something really, really, really bad. Well, again, that, how bad could it have been? That's what we're trying to wrap our brains around. What if uh, okay. teenage hookers in an eight ball of cocaine? It's still the Super Bowl, man. Okay. Come on. All right. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just Drew, saying. I'm just spitballing here. Okay. How about this? What if they caught him placing a bet on the Eagles? Well, then it's a league matter, not a, not a uh, Patriots matter. It's a league matter until the league knows about it. That would be. Yeah, How do you know the league knows? That's about like it? that. That's uh, that's as far fetched as your. Uh, He's banging, banging the owner's girlfriend Ricky or something. Noel Lander? Yeah, that's well. I have to. True, I got to go straight to the top of inexplicable <laughs> because benching a guy who played ninety-eight point seven percent of your snaps and getting lit up for the most yards in Super Bowl history—that's a dire situation. You, oh. If you bench him for a quarter, you made your point. He, hey, you know what? He missed a practice. He was out late, but we punished him, uh, and he was back in the game. He's insubordinate, and Belichick's egos finally run amok. You know, I guess, but maybe you punish him by saying he's a free agent. We're letting him go. That's we're going to use him up think. now for one more game to win, and then we're throwing his ass to the curb. You can't keep, you know, whether it's in Washington D.C. near your neighborhood, or whether it's in uh, the front office or coaching staff. You can't keep secrets anymore, so it's going to come out, right? I mean, either Malcolm Butler is going to say it. Yeah, or, it'll come out. There's too much interest at this point. There's way too much interest, and it's just too. The stakes were too high. But my, I come down to. Whatever it was, if he wasn't going to play, he played on one punt, right? That was it. That was the he played one yeah. snap, special team snap. If he yeah. wasn't going to play, you wasted the spot. The spot. You, you wasted, wasted and so you you, you then in order to make your whatever point it was, whatever message you were trying to send the team, they're beyond that. This isn't junior high. But how many right? DBs would they have to lose to injury to finally succumb and go? Okay, I guess we need you. Get in there. Yeah, I mean. Because yeah. they could have played him as the third corner. Sure, they he would have been out of position, and it would not have made any sense. Also, why did they not tell the guys until right before kickoff? That is that had to equally throw them stunning. Loop. Equally stunning. There was a situation. Jason Kidd benched um, when he was still coach of the Bucks a couple weeks ago. He benched Malcolm Brogdon. Yeah, and for a game, and no one knew why. And Malcolm Brogdon, his nickname is the President. You know, he played at Virginia. He's a, he's a yeah. You know, great smart guy, upstanding, smart guy, citizen. Like no one knew, and kid wouldn't say. And there was one point that they caught in the highlights. Brogdon's just sitting there with his sweats on, and it's like the middle of the game. And Giannis gets up from a timeout, and he looks at Brogdon, and you could see he's like, "Why are you? Pl- why aren't you playing?" And Brogdon just shrugged his shoulders, like, nah, I, don't "I don't know. know. I don't know. I don't know what I did." We never did find out what the reason was for that. It was just kid playing head games, trying to, yeah. I don't know, trying to goose more effort out of him or something. But yeah. this at this level to at have this, this level, in the Super Bowl. And it's to me, it's like that's and, the and story. Michelle comes, Tafoya, that's your only job. Is why isn't this guy playing? Why isn't he playing? Maybe she was working it, yeah. but it didn't come across on the broadcast. And another case of all these high-paid NFL insiders having no idea whatsoever that this story was going to bubble up. True, they like to pretend like they're so plugged in, and you know, Jake Glazer sleeps with a phone strapped to his ear, and Schefter's on three phones at a time. These guys. When it comes to a big story, they miss it as much as anybody else. There's you know, a lot of things that go on underneath the surface they don't even know. No idea. Being a good reporter is contingent on getting people to tell you stuff. And whether that's one guy or a network of guys, you can be a pretty good national figure if you have just one well-placed guy giving you stuff. True. Here's what uh, I bet the conversation is going to be like between Malcolm Butler and his agent and Jerry jo- and excuse me, and uh, Bob Kraft next year. Arliss, I hope you don't mind puffed rice. I've got my cholesterol up since I let Jimmy Johnson go and got my ass in a crack. No, I'm pretty fond of puffed rice. Um, listen, Jerry, I need to talk business regarding Latrell Shabazz. The only thing he's been intercepting are Denny's waitresses. Jerry, the guy <laughs> needs an advance against next year's salary. Advance? Arliss, we're going to drop him at the end of the year. You, you, you can't do that. Sure I can. No, 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 no. He's got a guaranteed contract. I know. I negotiated it. And a heck of a negotiation. Signing bonuses, incentive clauses, whale of a deal. But we're going to exercise that buyout option when we pay him 10% and kiss his ass goodbye if I can find a place on there that doesn't have a tattoo. Jerry, you can't kick a man when he's down. Sure you can. (laughs) 
How do you think I bought this team? <laughs> one, of the, <laughs> one of the great scenes from, I thought, an underrated HBO series from many, 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 many moons ago. Oh, Arliss. Robert Wool. yeah, he sat down at that Super Bowl ten or seven years ago. I interviewed him at Radio Row. He was a fantastic guest. I had a great time talking he to him. He was doing sports radio for a period there. That's you right. Know, he had a show. I, I knew the producer that worked on it, and he was like, this is a nightmare. Like, I'm doing all the prep work. <laughs> he, he really does not know much. And he thinks he's got a, he's, he thinks he's got a topic that's going to last an hour. It barely makes it out of the segment break. <laughs> but, hey, I, I was a fan of Robert Wool as well, both in Arliss and as the, what, bench coach in Bull Durham? In Bull Durham, yeah. He was great. Well, you know, candlesticks make a good gift. And uh, let's go ahead and get a double play here. Uh, did you get – you ever get this feeling – when you're covering big events that I get a feeling of hopelessness and insignificance in terms of what you do in the media as a writer, sort of a, we oh, all do the same shit. itis that, that on we feeling the on we, the sort of yeah. the despair, the letdown of, Hey, I thought I was kind of a big deal because I got a byline in the paper or I've got a radio show in a market People will email me and say, what a great job that was, and I love you, and blah, blah, blah. You probably get the same thing. And then you go to a big event where there is an army of people in other cities who do the exact same thing as you, and you ask yourself, why? Why am I doing this? You sound you like a guy. Feeling? You sound like a guy who just spent a week on Radio Row. You ever get that feeling? Did you? I, at big events, I always felt like, man, the world is watching this, and I'm here, and this is cool. That was kind of the. So you were appreciative. Uh, of it. I, I had the yeah. I had the floating above your body, looking down on yourself. Uh, you know, standing. Life is good. Kind when of I was thing. standing behind home plate at Yankee Stadium, like twenty minutes before the World Series, talking to Bob Costas and Bob Euchre, while a stadium full of people looked down at me, I thought, well, this is pretty cool. Nice. You know, okay. This so is, you never, but, but then you, you're right. You, the the soul ever, sucking happens to, to, for a beat guy and stuff when you're walking out of a press box in Cincinnati at one in the morning after writing a shitty story and going home to going to a hotel room to get some shitty you know vending machine food <laughs> and you're saying uh, there's got to be you know the so. team is 26 games under. You are. It's the middle of July. There was about nine thousand yeah. people in the ballpark that day, and you're saying, did I really need to the, grind to chronicle? Those are the moments. Middle relievers. Yes, those are the moments you question your career path. Yeah, you know, and yeah. I should be working with orphans in you know Africa or something. I should be working somewhere else and helping. But no, uh, at the big events, it's usually you do realize though the, 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 where you are in the food chain, and it can be eye opening. It can be depressing at times. Yeah, because we all like to think we're big shots. That's I, I think we all yeah. tend to think we're or medium shots. Our, our, well, the instinct for again I, shots. Will I come from the that? reporters' I'm background. I'm just a fly on the wall, happy to be there, writing down what's happening, you know, and like just taking it in and try to tell people what yeah. how stuff really works. Well, I read several game recaps after the Super Bowl, and a lot of them were almost exactly the same. Doug Peterson was aggressive, and that's how he won the game. He went for it on fourth down here, went for it on fourth down there, didn't keep his you know, kept his foot on the pedal, and there you go. And if I was writing that story and I'm thinking, oh, this is really clever, this is good, I've got the angle, I'm really going to nail how this game w- – oh, wait wait a minute. Everybody wait, else wrote the same thing. Well, it's like you were watching the same game as me. It's like there really is no alternate explanation for the game that's, we just watched. Like, it's all common knowledge. That's where the Gonzo guys come in. It's like, I'm going to be at the Super Bowl, and instead of being at the stadium with everybody else, I'm going to a prison to watch the game with the inmates and write about yeah. what that's like. And that's, you know – that. That's the other, the flip side of it. I guess so, right, the flip side. I watched the game on a frozen lake, lake fishing in a cottage up in uh, Lake Minnetonka. (laughs) Exactly. Here's what it was all about. And then you do the timestamps, 4.15 p.m. A big muscalunge comes up through the ice. The, The cabin erupts with cheers. One man glances over and notices that the Eagles have just taken a 10 point lead. They barely recognize it. Back to more fishing, that kind of stuff. That's it. So the guys, and it was always, you know, the the beat guys have to do their thing on deadline, which is getting more and more brutal despite technology. Deadline? Yeah. There's deadlines? Oh, God, yeah. Digital deadlines? Yesterday. Digital deadlines are worse now than they've ever been. Really? Oh, yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. What's a digital deadline on a baseball game? Five minutes after it goes final? Oh, man, like it's 10 o'clock, and then anything after that you might have till 10.30, and the game started, if the game started at 7, you got no chance of it being done. So you're yeah. basically – I mean, a lot of people are getting their paper now – in Milwaukee, where it says, you know, it was 
four to three in the third inning or in the seventh inning, you know, with yeah. three innings remaining. And that's, but the, the guys that always had the extra time were the Sports Illustrated guys and the Tom Verducci's, and they could be like the last oh, guy to leave, and they, they would see. Stretch out. They, they stretch like, out, and they, yeah. they saw, oh, he took the MVP trophy and put it in his equipment bag, or, you know, they, that, that moment, those moments, and they get to go. Mike Silver from the NFL Network is a really good reporter. He goes to the parties. He was at the, you know. And yes. He was he's at, at the Jeffrey Lurie's party. party, yeah, and that's where he gets his stuff. And then he goes and writes. Amazingly, how do you stay sober and do that? I don't know. But, yeah, I, I don't know either. But how did, he, how did he get the job of being that guy, the party reporter? That's a good, good question. Well, it's, again, that goes to being connected and working your way up and having how do people you start who tell you connected? that. You know, there's ways that in in the journalism business, there's ways that it's trafficked. Um, you know, like when you're coming up, if you meet somebody who's an assistant GM or something, or, or a farm director or something. And then, or director of scouting somewhere, and then suddenly yeah. he's a high-powered GM, and you're tight with the guy, and hmm. that's your have beers with, and like, hey, come on, hey, give me a little direction on this. Hey, if I write this, am I going to look stupid? That's all you need. That's how you need right. a network of people like that. Or, or I've got this, I'm going to write it, unless you tell me you'd rather not. And and, and, and yes. then you throw him a bone every now. Throw and him then. a bone. Well, and then you hey, say, there's okay, jobs look. open, and you yeah. you know that that's how a lot of guys uh, traffic and information. A lot of the high-powered guys will write. Hey, this guy'd make a good GM someday, or this guy'd make a good head coach. This coordinator's or this linebacker's coach. You write that, and then lo and behold, the guy owes you one. Yeah, you know. Re- real, real quick before FTG, TV ratings decline. Any thoughts on the fact it was down three percent? A scintillating all offense, back and forth Cinderella Super Bowl. How on earth could it be down at all? Even though it was only three percent, it shouldn't be down. It shouldn't be down. The weather was shit in much of the country. Right, it was at least where I live. It was the cold old as hell. Weather excuse. Well, got it. The, that that no, means more it. eyeballs. That means if it's if it's fifty I, degrees out, people be out not watching TV. Right, more eyeballs out not watching the Super Bowl. Well, yeah, maybe yeah. Lake Minnetonka might be. Do, uh, do you, ice you remember fishing or when there was talk that the Super Bowl and the NFL may consider making it a pay per view event? I remember that. I, this is part of my personal jihad, at least on my show and stuff. Is I say put it on Saturday night once. Like, oh yeah, no, it would be great. out. Let's make it happen. Yeah, because then we could stay up late and watch it and then get drunk afterwards and then sleep in Sunday, exactly. watch all the highlights, get a nice egg and bacon breakfast the, at a leisurely hour. Play the Pro Bowl the next uh, the Sunday after. Well, they would for, for to have an event there oh, the so to keep Sunday. people there. Oh, play it play it the Sunday after in the same stadium and let, uh, keep the people that want to it'll be a half full stadium which it is anyway and uh, That's like the uh, after breakfast at at weddings. Yes. What do they call that? Oh, the little gift opening brunch, you know that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, like the brunch, like the uh, the main event is over. Now, the wedding happens Saturday. The bride and the groom are gone, but since everyone here is in town, we got one more brunch the next day. There you to go. To say hi to everyone and away you yeah, go. Yeah, that's fantastic. That would well, be good to me. But the but ratings be down. The, they would lose the mystique of Sunday, Sunday, no, Sunday. I know which is where the NFL lives, and. Super Bowl Sunday would be Super Bowl Saturday. I still like it. Who cares? I, well, you know. know what they want to do? They want to get this thing to uh, President's Day weekend so they can then go ahead and play it on Sunday, and Monday is a holiday for most people. Yeah. That's two weeks more of a stretch, which they would have loved to have filled with an 18-game schedule, but if you can't do that, how about a two-by week regular season schedule? And there you can stretch it out. Yeah, that's... That's doable, perhaps. Or, or maybe two bye weeks, if you really want to stretch, two bye weeks and a week off between the end of the regular season and the wild card round oh, of the I like playoffs that. to let teams heal. Might huh? be the best huh? idea you've had. Huh? Yeah. Huh? That might be the best because idea you've we had. We have excess football in that week with the Final Four in college and the national yeah. championship let, game. Let we college have that, that week. Yeah, I yeah, like we that. we could absorb. Oh. Well, of course, that would make the NFL go, we're not giving up anything. Exactly. We're not surrendering Greedy any bastards. ground to anybody. All right, so part of the thing with, for me with the, the ratings, and ratings are down for everything, but what, of the 100 top-rated TV shows, 89 are, for are football? They're not down for everything. Some things are swimming against the tide. The NBA is up this year. Yeah. Like 12%. Uh, now it's from, a much smaller number. It's a much smaller number. Uh, on the big network up. shows, but of the top 100 rated shows, like 89 of them are NFL related, right? I mean, come on. It's just up so, is up, down is down, though. The, the league yeah. is still going the wrong direction, which I think they're going to have to keep thinking about. Because... I agree. But how much of that with the Super Bowl is, uh, let's blame, let's put, put some of the blame in, as shocking as this might be. The fucking commercials suck. 
If the commercials were better, maybe they would keep an audience. But the commercials are bad now, too. And that's lost some of its sizzle because that used to be part of the, you know, the experience. I was home watching it and we're just, these commercials kind of suck. Yeah, you want four or five really good ones. You know, a couple really funny ones. One that is just beautifully done and very moving and different. And you're like, all right, then. And then maybe one that's just great action, like a car commercial with great action, like a Hollywood movie. Hell, I think that the uh, uh, Taco right. Bell Web of Fries commercial with the fake movie trailer for you know the French fry cartel that should have been a Super Bowl movie. <laughs> I Super want, Bowl commercial, I should uh, say. Yeah, I want. And the, part of the thing is also you see most of them before the Super Bowl now they leak or they're previewed yeah. or the TV has them, or you can just like ah, I don't need to see that. I'll just go to YouTube and see it afterwards. And there's no got to be I there. Yes, although uh, I didn't see the commercials. And I have started down the road of trying to see all of them. Yeah. And you start to get frustrated Google searching for a good, solid reel. Like, I just want a reel, Drew. Every commercial in sequence, all at once. And I'm sure that does exist on the internet. Good luck. But I've got to go find it now. Yeah. Good luck so. finding that. I don't know. That that's, sounds like a good business idea for us. Oh, yeah, we'll make a mint on it. We'll Package make as much together. money as we're making on this podcast. Exactly. All right, you ready for Fuck That Guy? Um, Let me think, let me think. Oh, you weren't ready this week. I think Where I'm ready. You? Well, wait. Oh, no, okay, here's what you're going to do. You have to think on the fly, oh. and I'm going to go first. So this okay. is like ordering food at a restaurant where you're so hungry. You're <laughs> like, we are not letting this waitress leave. We're ordering right now. I don't give a shit what you okay. say. Pick something off the menu and go, okay? Go ahead. So go I ahead. will go first on this, all right. all right, and then we'll get it done. I'm not a good guy. I'm the guy. <laughs> fuck that guy. All right, my fuck, fuck that. that... Oh, sorry. I stepped on my own sounder there. <laughs> my fuck that guy for the week is whoever decided to redesign Dulles International Airport out in the Virginia suburbs that serves Washington, D.C. Once upon a time, this airport was a marvel in that it had one big terminal with a big swooping roof and that it had buses that would shuttle you out to your gates at the mid, uh, the what are they called, the midfield terminal, okay? And at some point along the way, these giant Hungarian-made buses that lift up and down on giant hydraulic stilts, they said, now, nah, you know what, we want to let passengers get there on their own. So they designed an underground system that is a bunch of escalators, It's a train you have to take. You still have to walk like a football field and then go upstairs. It's ridiculous. (laughs) Dulles International Airport and whoever designed it, fuck that guy. Nice. I really, every time I fly there, I'm like, why do I fly here? I hate this. I should drive an extra hour to Baltimore because at least at BWI, you're in the airport and you're a couple steps in and you're good to go. That's uh, that's interesting. I, I have a theory about that too because people always bitch our little General Mitchell International Airport in Milwaukee, um, which is actually kind of a suburb of Chicago. People who don't like O'Hare come to Milwaukee and fly out of Milwaukee. Great airport to fly out of. Great airport. There not a lot of direct flights where you need to go. That's the problem. True. You got to connect. But yeah. the thing is, we have such a short jump to get from your seat on the plane to the baggage claim is so quick compared to other airports that people think, oh, they're so slow here. It's like no, it's basically the same, if not quicker. But it's just that you're standing there at the carousel waiting for your bag to spit out longer. True. You know what I'm saying? So it's a a mental – it deceives you. It's a mind fuck. It it is a – the best airport in terms of being right there from curb to the gate is is, uh, Washington National. You fly to National, I mean, that thing is tight. Boom. Yeah, I've been there. I've done that. Okay, you've had enough time to look over the menu, Drew. Your FTG for this week is? I I even have an honorable mention. My honorable mention is, fuck that guy. People who say Chris Collinsworth was favoring the Patriots while calling that game. Oh, the the announcers? The the announcers are biased guy. guy. Please save it. That's my honorable mention. I could fuck that guy for a half hour. But my fuck that guy is whoever it is in New York in Park Avenue, and they sit there and they're already working on next year, the machinations of pregame and postgame, for the Super Bowl, whoever came up with the idea that the Lombardi Trophy is this holy object that we have to walk <laughs> through, we have to have some washed-up guy with CTE carry it through and let players kiss it on the way to the stage as it makes its majestic journey while we play this overblown Battlestar Galactica God Save the Queen music 
to make it this moment. This is not the Stanley Cup. It's the Lombardi Trophy, and it's a great trophy, and it's an elegant trophy. It's one of the. It's probably second best looking trophy in all of sports. Right. But fuck that guy who thought we got to do this thing and overring it and ring every second out of it and make this over dramatic. You're forcing it. It's fucking lame. Yeah. Fuck that all guy. Right. Drew, good job this week. Get a hold of Drew on Twitter at Drew Olson MKE. All right, listen to his show on the Big 920 Milwaukee. Thanks, Drew. You bet, Zabe. We'll end with this. Derek Rose is amazing. Not only can he take several months off from his day job of being an NBA basketball player at $2.1 million this season for the Cavaliers. You know, earlier in the year, he kind of had some ankle issues and he wasn't playing real great. He was still playing, just not at the level that Derek Rose was happy with. So he decides... I can't take this, and he's got to go away for personal reasons, or so he said. Just disappears from, like, December 5th until early February or the end of January. And his teammates did not mind at all. <laughs> Granted, they got really pissed at Kevin Love because he took one night off, but Derrick Rose taking two months off? Nah, just let him go. He'll be back. Not only is that a sweet gig to be able to just come and go as you please on a $2.1 million NBA deal that probably should have never been signed, But his shoe contract is even more outrageous. SI got a copy of his 40-page Adidas deal and found that the former NBA MVP has spread the wealth to his family and friends in that deal. The deal calls for retainers of $12 million per season for Rose. It includes annual royalties of up to $6 million a year, $4.8 million in annual appearance fees, use of a private plane, and then... It gives Derek's older brother, Reggie, between two fifty and three hundred grand a year as a consultant. Also, Randall Hampton, Rose's best friend since sixth grade and his assistant, is paid between fifty and seventy five grand annually for quote consulting services. Also, Adidas kicks in hundred and fifty grand annually to the AAU team of Rose's choice. Now that, my friends, is some sweet action and good for Derrick Rose. He got it from Adidas legally above board and probably back when he was a much hotter thing in the NBA. That'll do it for me today. Thank you very much for listening, everyone. Please tell two friends, rate the podcast highly, uh, download, subscribe, all that good stuff. I'll keep cranking these out five days a week. Hopefully earlier in the day. Do tell me, when would be the best release time? And don't say 5 a.m. Well, you can say 5 a.m. I'll just record it the day before. You tell me, from a podcast consumer standpoint, what is the best time? I know it's probably not good that I'm moving these times around, but just give me some help there. Let me know. All right, thanks for listening, everybody. Have yourself a great day, and we will see you tomorrow.